coming up on This Week in Startups. This is the problem with what's happening in crypto. These valuations, like, oh my God, it's worth 10 billion, the market cap. But 10 billion of tokens have not been sold. $10 million worth of tokens have been sold, but right. people are buying in $100 increments. Nobody can clear their positions. There's not a market to sell all of those. So what do you do? You're just going to be like, you know, drip drabbing them out to sell them as you go. That is the, the thing about crypto that I think people don't realize is that I would guess two thirds of the valuation of crypto is unrealized and unrealizable. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at embroker.com twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code TWIST. And Calm for Business can help your employees be their best selves at work. HR and benefit leaders can get a free year of Calm for Business at calm.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of not only This Week in Startups, but I am officially welcoming Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal's amazing audience, pretty sophisticated audience, I would say, uh, based on the Slack that I'm in at Acquired FM. Yes, this is a collab, a collaboration. All the kids are doing it on the YouTube. Uh, David and Ben, uh, welcome back to This Week in Startups. Uh, Jake Al, welcome back to Acquired. Uh, is this your first time doing a collab? No, this, what is this? Episode like six, seven we've done together? You guys are yeah, now so. in like the rankings of most on the show. Seventh episode yeah. together, yes. Who, who else is on that leaderboard? Who we, uh, you know, who do we have wow. to battle here? Uh, Brian Alvey, uh, who was my best friend from high school, who I did Weblogs Inc. with, has been on a lot of times. There's some people on the news roundtable, like Molly Wood's been on a couple times. Yeah, I'd say the news roundtable. Uh, Alex Wilhelm has been on. All right, so some that formidable be, competition. Yeah, you're, you're up there. Zach's been on six or seven times. Yeah, Zach Coleus would be on a lot because he does Ask Jason and Zach. Because I find like there's some people I just vibe with. And uh, obviously, Ben and David, you're two of those folks. Uh, if you don't know about Acquired FM, uh, where the hell have you been? Go to Acquired.fm and uh, sign up for their... Uh, elite hundred dollar subscription uh, product in addition to their free. Do you do? Do you do? Yeah, Jason, well, we, we, have big, do we have big news. We, yeah, we uh, we changed our we changed the model a little bit. So we started oh. releasing all LP episodes for free after two weeks because we had oh. such awesome guests that we were like, you know what? If people want this information in a way that they're gonna do something mm -hmm. interesting with it, two weeks is plenty of time. Um, but you know. It's incredible guests. They're saying incredible things. It's a shame to lock it up for just a couple thousand people. So you know, that's now always been the problem feed. I've had with the paywall and yeah. the market for advertising is so vibrant right now for podcasting. At least you can't say that yep. about blogs or other things. So yeah, I, I think it's a good decision. We we started playing with the you know um, paid concept on patreon whatever and i was just like you know this is like a, an antithetical to my personal brand of founders don't pay and my audience is founders mostly you know some investors and some tech enthusiasts but mostly founders and i, I just they've got a hundred bucks or no offense 
you have a lot of capital allocators, so 100 bucks is just like, whatever, I just want to put the show. I'd rather they put it towards their startup or something. So, totally. Uh, well, well we congratulations on it. It was much more about, about the, well, A, it was people who were paying us, some people were paying for the content, uh, mm-hmm. but it was a minority. Most people were paying because they liked us, wanted to support the show. They wanted and to support for, the show. Be part of the community. We do monthly Zoom calls with our paid LPs. And uh, that's very cool. Yeah. So, we yeah, get to hear yeah. about their crazy NFT exploits in the last six months. <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, we, I don't know when the last time we got together was, but we have not Pre-Italy? really, when was it? I think it was right before your Italy trip. Oh, right before Italy. Okay. So it was August. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, thanks. I've lost 20 pounds since then. Um, thanks for you, look good. you were you used to looking good. You were seriously looking good. You know, what happened was David and I were talking and like, I don't know if you remember this all in where somebody had a picture of us on the golf course in the middle of the pandemic in Cabo, because we had done this like. I mean, David had basically gone AWOL and uh, it was kind of like a, I don't know, you guys ever watch uh, Apocalypse Now, like Colonel Kurtz oh, goes yeah. like into the woods and like he goes kind of crazy. So like David Sachs is missing. And so people are like, hey, David's kind of lost it in the middle of the pandemic. He just went to Cabo. Can you go retrieve him? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I, you know, it's middle of pandemic i fly down private to cabo i find him in cabo and he's like literally yeah he's kind of like i don't know about this pandemic is this the end of the world he's kind of you know on edge or whatever he's like colonel uh, kurtz he's basically gone Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> <laughs> you're so going like, into the heart of darkness i'm like this is you can't live this way you got, you got funds you got family you got friends you got the poker group you gotta come home David, you got to come back to the Bay. You got to can't stay in Cabo for the whole pandemic. So I brought him home. But anyway, there was a picture of the two of us in the golf course. And I'm like, over 200 pounds, he's pushing whatever. And uh, we started doing all in together. And then of course, fat jokes. We just fat shame each other incessantly at the poker game. But you, you can't do that anymore. Can you Dave? And you, you're not allowed to fat shame. I have the picture ready to pull up if you want to see it. I mean, no, I don't want to see it. <laughs> Well, I think I think it's okay if you do it yourself. Oh, I mean, wow! There we are. I mean, there are. Well, I mean, you're kind of leaning backwards. Well, we know how to. We're sucking it in there. We're sucking (laughs) it in. We're working the angles. I'm all in black. He made the terrible maneuver of putting all white on, and he's like, "Why are you wearing all black on the golf course in Cobb?" I'm like, "Slimming, slimming, exactly." Why do I wear black all the time? Slimming. So I love that we're well, looking at it through a like screenshot of a zoom background while Sax is talking over it. It's a very like 2020 version of this peak photo. Pandemic. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's a yeah. peak <laughs> pandemic totally. approach there because you can see the aliasing around the thing is just terrible. That's when zoom just started that feature. Yeah. Uh, so we look really fat. And so we were fat shaming each other. And all of a sudden I noticed he's getting thinner and he's talking about his weight loss. So I'm like, oh God. Anyway, I'm 176 this week, every hey. single day. Congratulations. Was, What's your secret? Trainer? Peloton? Uh, I am. I ha- No, I stopped working out, actually. And I because what I found was in the research, if you're working out and you have a serious amount of weight to lose, which I did, I, you know, I was over I was 198 or 199 was my peak this year. I'm 176 now. So I've lost over 20 pounds this year. When you're that fat and overweight, I'm sorry, obese, whatever, if I'm triggering people, but I, I consider myself a fat bastard. You felt you, you were not uh, happy with with where you were. I was. I'll be, if I'm being totally candid, uh, Ben and, and David, uh, I was very disappointed in myself that I could be so successful at anything I tried, 
with the exception of weight loss. And it was like embarrassing to me and frustrating to me because I would lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, and then or 10 pounds, gain it back 10 pounds, gain it back for 10 years. And it's just basically I was a marathon runner uh, who stopped running marathons. And so my metabolism, you get to you get older and you know, then I kind of forgive myself, you, you gain a pound or two a year. Uh, that's not a lot. And you do it for 20 years, you're gonna be overweight. So that's exactly what happened to me. Anyway, I just went down to 1.5 meals a day. That's it. Hmm. It's just literal starvation. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's not fun. But thermodynamics, are, you know, are, are a fact of the universe. And uh, it, I, what's the there's some quote, I lost a bunch of weight when I was in college. And I remember some quote, were you fat? Uh, I, I lost 40 pounds my senior year of college. You were and fat. I've been a, about the same. Yeah, no. probably. I mean, depends on, on definition, but I wasn't happy with uh, with with how I was. I mean, you and, were definitely uh, in the obese category, which is 30 BMI or more plus thanks, 30, Jason. 40 pounds. Appreciate that. I mean, no, it's, listen, I was, <laughs> I was obese too. It's, you get the sense yeah, that so, David was never. But, but there's like those uh, phrases a like. Kid. Uh, oh, David kid. actually, David actually played football in oh, really? college. Wide That's receiver? a long story that we don't have time for now. Okay. Uh, let, let's do that on the next twist. The next uh, twist. Collab. So you, how did you lose the weight then, Ben? uh very similar i i cut all carbs um but at the end of the day i think it it's kind of a you know it's a calories game it's a calories game and then i've done a bunch of research about this online it turns out when you have fat on your body there's all these um systems in your body that when you have fat your body which is you know an operating system from you know that's tens of thousands of years old just says, oh, there's fat on your body, put more fat on. You got to keep that because it's obviously the winter, so let's keep it on. So your body basically just makes you ravenously hungry to try to keep that fat on. When you get like 10 pounds off, it's like, oh, something's going wrong here, put more fat on. So your body actually actively starts fighting you when you hit that like minus uh. 10 point. So you really have to just break through. And then once you break through, you're good. So Dave and I both broke through um, and it's been great. I mean, he's 168, he told me, and he started at 192 or 94. So we, we're both wow. on the exact same journey. And uh, we're going to do like a weight loss um, program and then start selling it for like, you know, whatever. I'm in. Send me the DVDs. $149 or something. It's me and him doing aerobics. Third, fourth leg no, of I, the uh, launch empire stool. You're launching weight loss. <laughs> okay, right, we did, so, this is good. So we, we, want, we jump, let's skip ahead a little bit here, but um, we wanted this to be like the holiday special episode. In yes. Review. One special. of the questions we had for you. Okay, here we go. 21 year in review. This is the perfect tee up. What's, how's your relationship with Saxy Poo? We, we all over the beef? Every, all, all good? <laughs> uh, you know, Sax and I are like brothers. And we, Sax is also a leader. And uh, before All In, we could break each other's chops about our position on, let's say, politics. Obviously, he's, I'm left-leaning. He's right-leaning. I'm kind of more of a centrist. And he's becoming a little bit more centrist. So I feel like we're both sort of coming closer on this. But then you throw in the all in podcast. And that was not, you know, that was just to have fun. And now it's obviously gotten larger than uh, we thought it would. It peaked at the 41st episode in the country of all categories. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, wow. Uh, episode 56 and 57 were like 41 and 55 or something. I don't know. Like, I, I look at it over the weekend and that's crazy. Um, so it's gotten extraordinarily popular. So then you should you should get chartable, by the way, if they send you alerts on when you're, you're oh, really? ranking on different. Okay. Uh, I think yeah. my team has that. I have to get them. 
from websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all in one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog or publish content, promote your business, announce upcoming events or special projects, sell products and services of all kinds and more. No matter what the problem Squarespace is, the answer, you know that. And they have these beautiful templates by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality, and everything you do is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You also got built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, and of course, their 24-7 award-winning customer support, which you're not going to get if your cousin builds your website and puts it on his backup server, trust me. Back in 2020, we decided to create a new idea during the pandemic. We called it Remote Demo Day. We have founders pitched to thousands of angel investors over video conferencing, and we purchased the domain name RemoteDemoDay.com and had the site up and running in minutes thanks to our friends at Squarespace, and Remote Demo Day has been a huge success so far. Uh, we've invested almost $20 million in those companies. Pretty great. So go to Squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use that offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain, and congrats to the team for going public. Back in May, what an amazing journey. Great job, Squarespace team. So anyway, it, that has created another level to it because when we break chops, everybody sees it as a 10x what it, in reality we're experiencing. We do this as a course of action. And I basically started it because I grew up in Brooklyn where we break each other's chops as sport. It's kind of a way to show love and affection. He buys into that 100%. We've been friends for 20 years. We've been doing it for 20 years. So it makes everybody uncomfortable. When we go out with our wives or we're at a party, like our wives will take us apart and say, can you guys stop ribbing each other? It's making the other guests uncomfortable. I'm like, why would it be uncomfortable? Oh, sorry. Why would it be uncomfortable if this like sympathizing this fat bastard and I argue? And he's like, please stop. It's making it worse. Oh, <laughs> so we great. just, you know, we just beep, 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 beep that Nick in the post-production. So um, it's actually never been bad, but we do argue over things. And one of the arguments has been, and I'm curious your position on this is, how much politics on All In? You know, when you talk politics on any podcast, you, you probably have seen it on yours. You're, you, all of a sudden, you got all these thumbs up, thumbs down, the comments go crazy, the tweets go crazy, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you know, it's polarized like anything else. So it becomes like Thanksgiving dinner during the Trump era. And so I've been the other three besties who are not David Sachs, um freeberg doesn't want to talk about any politics you see him like just zone out if you're watching him on the stream during a politics he just goes discussion, and does like real science he while walked, everyone's throwing he literally barks. walked out off on the i thought he left the program but he's just like oh this is perfect time for me to get a cup of coffee i'm like you just can't leave in the middle of the taping he's like i just got a cup of coffee whatever it's like okay fine so he hates it chamath is fine with it if it's in relation to in the same position as me markets tech you know science can argue it doesn't impact our world yes. anymore and then david would like to talk about the insurrection he, you know he wants to talk about any you know he wanted to talk about rittenhouse you know and that, that was something like a big debate are we going to talk about this or not and so anyway that that is at the core of it and i think we've worked through most of it i i mean you asked for our take on it like my quick yeah. one is i actually love listening to all in for that reason uh, i've been i thought i was going to listen to it for like business and tech stuff and i mm -hmm. excited I, I tuned in a lot for like COVID updates and a mm. lot for what's so going science. on. And I don't live in San Francisco, but like San Francisco politics, because I didn't okay. really understand it until then. And I feel like um, it's an intelligent politics discussion. I mean, there's barbs, but uh, uh, Sachs is the first conservative 
to make arguments where I, I become amenable to them and then look at myself and I'm like, no, what are you doing? But like, it's, it's, it's smart. It's well-reasoned. It's not incendiary most of the time. David? I, I totally agree. And I go back to, you know, you can't, um, you can't separate anymore. Like tech and our world and our industry yeah. is so much more a fabric of the whole world. And so like to pretend that politics and world events and stuff, you know, don't, impact our industry and vice versa is silly and there's no place else where you can get a good discussion of these things then then all in so i i think it's great i agree with ben i, I think it's a core I, part of the show i appreciate that and i agree with uh you both like i mean to say it's part of the fabric of society capital allocation wealth creation technology and science are our society as far as i'm concerned like i don't think almost anything is important now entertainment media like religion i mean all the movie studios are owned by big tech like literally owned by there are are no more independent film studios so uh, is that enough yeah so i you know i i appreciate it what i'm what we're trying to do you know we have uh we play poker most weeks or have dinner together you know uh, every couple of weeks you know during poker And, and we really as a as a uh quartet have had discussions about hey what is the what is what is a vibrant civil discussion right and so like interruptions comes up all the time like how prepared are we like and so that was another big discussion like you know hey are you interrupting people it's like it's a conversation and you know sax would show up with a monologue and i you know we had to have this like discussion like are sax has researchers and writers who are you know giving him notes and none of us are doing that i'm like hey listen i don't want you monologuing on the show i'm going to interrupt you if you monologue so you can get 90 seconds into this but when you get to two minutes or three minutes i'm going to ask you a question you got to pass the ball this is not ISO ball. This is not like 90s basketball. You're not Allen Iverson or Carmelo Anthony. I want warrior style basketball. I want the ball passing. And Which, he agrees with that. By the way, I, I don't know how this did in your analytics, but um, one of my favorite all in episodes, if not my favorite for this year, was when you had Draymond on. I don't know if that Pretty was a great. deep cut or if that was, that was high I up on the it. charts, but it was awesome. It was in the early days. We have to have him back on after the season. Um, all right. So... Yes, Wait, David Jason, I can I ask you one before we sure. move to another topic? One final question on, on all in. How has your thinking evolved on the sort of Jason Calacanis media and investing empire since adding all into the mix? Like, how does it fit in with launch and twist and how you're thinking about the next five and ten years now? So Weight I love program. doing it. I love doing it. Um, I am now. You know, I turned fifty-one on Sunday. I Happy have birthday. now Congrats. oriented. I've just oriented my life. How old are you guys, by the way? Thirty-two, and David, you're thirty-five, thirty-seven. Six? It's turned 37. thirty-seven. So yeah, I focused my entire life on performance. You know, success, trying to be somebody, be important, get money, get power, get status. And I just made the decision after Tony Shea passed away, which is just now the year uh, anniversary, and after yeah. um, you know uh, COVID that I am going to put an equal amount of effort into my personal enjoyment with my friends and my family, which, you know, has been a a journey of my 40s is trying to just put more effort into my friendships and families and relationships. So I bought a ski house, you know, like, and I'm going to spend a month uh, in Tahoe skiing and doing the show from there. So actually, I'm orienting the empire around my personal enjoyment of life. And, you know, my relationships, and the success is going to take care of itself because it has my, I, I was at like maybe 300,000 followers or something. I think I had 100,000 followers since 
all in became popular. I'm getting a lot of offers to do other media stuff now because people saw me in a different role, like as a moderator. So you might see me on some other, you know, Ooh. mainstream media stuff or other projects. So it, it has changed things for me. The things I love doing investing in startups, performing on air, like doing podcasts and writing uh, and being a great friend, you know, to the people I love. Those are the things that I've taken stock of my life that I enjoy doing. And so that's what I'm orienting everything around. And you know what, like, media is what I love to do. I love to create media. And it's really that simple. If I and like this, you know, like last night, I was like, can't wait to be on the show with you two, you know, and it's like, Aww. I really enjoy our time together. We felt the same way chopping it up. And I, I you know, I get a little tingle, uh, you know, before all in or before certain guests. And, you know, uh, as part of that, since this weekend starts about five days a week this year, uh, we're bringing Molly Wood on. Uh, and so Mollywood is obviously a very famous podcaster from NPR, New York Times. And before that, she yeah. kind of pioneered streaming media on CNET. And we've been friends for a long time. And she's joining us in January as the co-host of This Week in Service. We'll take a little pressure off me and kind of add to the Oh, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, it was a two-year thing. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking to her about it for two years. But she wants to be an investor. And so she was like, hey, how do I become an investor? And I was like, well, you quit your job and come work with me. And so she wants to do climate. So I don't know if you saw the syndicate launch the SAS syndicate. And I'll just break a little news here. We're going to do a climate syndicate next. Oh, sweet. And Molly Wood awesome. uh, did this great podcast this year called um, How We Survive. It became the number one business podcast for a couple of weeks. Uh, and she's passionate about that. So she's going to spend the first half of the day working on this week in startups with me. Second half of the day, investing in climate startups and other startups. And I'm going to teach her how to be an investor. And we'll, we'll actually do that on air. So that's going to be like really exciting for me, too, because I just think she's awesome. That's but great. How, you, that's how are you guys thinking about your media empire? Well, it's a great question. Um, I mean, it's gotten very popular. I see you guys in the rankings. Like we're both right there in the top, whatever, fi top fifteen tech podcasts, ten to fifteen. That's right. It's uh, it, it's well, a it's been a while. I mean, we never expected any of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, you're good at it. So it's it's been well. Th uh, thank you. It's been awesome. Um, I don't. We live in this golden age, right? Like I used to. I'm, I'm full time. Monica like acquired is like what I do. Uh, it's my my job, quote unquote. Now, I used to be a professional venture capitalist who with a hobby podcast on the side. Now I'm a professional podcaster with a fund, <laughs> hobby venture capitalist on the side, and like mm. never been happier. I mean, we live in this golden age, right? Where like media, I mean, media broadly defined, what it's become, the internet, uh, you know, media influence is the key to you know we were going to talk about uh sequoia on this episode and the state of the vc landscape as we always do like just you know being capital by itself is not enough anymore what we do what you do what all in does you know that uh you tell us but i'd imagine for all of your all four of your investing on all in and you with the launch and twist empire it's the best thing that you could do for your investing, right? You know, it's something you can do. Uh, it's not for everybody. I think you have to want to put yourself out there. You want to have an opinion. And it does take a lot of time, right? If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a great founder. Startups should look no further than in broker. Brokers technology saves you time and money. Prices are like up to 20% lower. And they got better coverage than all these slow incumbents. You can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. I kid you not. And when you work with a broker instead of business insurance incumbents, you're not dealing with large, slow corporations. The sign up takes days, not weeks. And the process is so transparent. 
There's no opaque pricing. There's no negotiation. You just get it all done. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I'm going to quickly explain to you one crucial type of startup insurance that Embroker covers. It's called E&O. You may have heard it or overheard it. It covers errors and omissions. That'll help you deal with scaling your business because any major customer you try to sign up is going to say, hey, can you show us your E&O? part of the diligence process. So you want to get it now. It's not that expensive. These things are part of the process of growing up as a startup. And you know what, I find sometimes people wait until they get burned to put on their insurance. The insurance is not that expensive. You want to do it proactively, especially if you've raised money recently. That's the perfect time to deploy a little bit of capital into protecting the kingdom, protect your enterprise. So to instantly buy custom built insurance for startups, go to imbroker.com slash twist. And while you're there, you get 10% off. They're already amazing prices by using the offer code twist, T-W-I-S-T, Embroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. All right, thanks for supporting the show, Embroker. Love you guys. Uh, I'm doing six podcasts a week, two hours approximately wow. of effort each one. But for me, talking is my superpower, so it's not that hard. How, how, are, how is uh, your business being impacted by this, Ben? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I I think a thing that we were really worried about for a long time is, um, so we started as like the normal podcast that everyone says you should do, which is 30 to 40 minutes. And we started bleeding longer and longer. And we got into this territory where like, we do these, like we need to do 50 hours of research on a company to produce a three hour podcast on the New York Times or TSMC, mm-hmm. which went nuts this year. Um, and we were getting a lot of fl- like, what TMSC feedback. Is? Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturer. Yep. No, uh, company. Taiwan Semiconductor Company. Right? The, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Manufacturing company. company or corporation. The, the ninth largest company in the world by market cap. They make all the chips, all the most advanced chips in all smartphones. And, um, this and is most a of the key asset use. in the world. And it is a, a geopolitical, geopolitical linchpin. It's, like, it's a geo. <laughs> yeah. It's like literally like a, like it is a keystone or a linchpin. Like you pull the linchpin out or you remove the keystone the arc collapses like this literally is what, modern life like disappears it's it's a really significant business that is more important is uh, let me ask you this uh, having you guys doing the deep dive on it is it been more important than the actual taiwan like the country itself <laughs> like is if if you think about china and the u.s interests if we're being totally cynical or candid do people care more about the people of Taiwan and the state slash province, however you look at a country of Taiwan, or is this more about or equal about Taiwan Semiconductor? I mean, uh, we, we cannot compare the, the value of human life to the value of, of the market capital corporation. The thing is, though, yeah. it's, not a, it's not either. It's the same thing. The country, That's Taiwan, started, this is the whole history that we tell in the episode, like, it was government policy, domestic policy that they wanted to start this. So they recruited Morris Chang, the founder, who was by that point an American citizen. He's from China originally, from mainland China, uh, recruited him to come take over like a, 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 a ministry. And then that led into one thing led to another. Then they started TSMC. The government it, it w- owned it. They were outside shareholders and they obviously still are now. But um, it, it's the same thing. It's like the most strategic asset, political asset that the government has. Yeah, uh, th- I guess the, the point that I wanted to make there is so we do this three hour episode on TSMC and we've done these three hour episodes on all these other companies. And it, it finally dawned on me that you can just go be weird in a corner of the internet. And the internet is now so big that if you just keep at it, and you have reasonable distribution channels, 
you will find all the other people that are weird in the same way that you're weird who will come conglomerate around you. That. So while the conventional wisdom is don't do three-hour podcasts, like 160,000 people who like three-hour podcasts have found their way to us over the yes. last six and a half years of banging our head against a wall. So I, I, I find that inspiring for anybody who has Absolutely. something where they, they feel like they want to go and uh, operate in some pseudo-obscure corner. I think that's exactly right. I, when people started telling me, like, try to get this to, you know, an hour, do this. And like, I had a, the original producers on this week in startups were trying to like fit it into like a TV form. And I was like, turn the microphones on. Like, how long is it going to be? We got to tell the guest. I was like, tell the guest to just book two hours. And it might go over, might go under, and we'll get a hamburger or a coffee after whatever they want to do. But just look at this as a conversation. It ends when we both think it should end. The end. <laughs> like, um, love that. if you, so if you don't it. have constraint, why would you add it? You have to ask yourself. So if there is no constraint, you would add constraint because you think it makes the product better. Right? Yep. And I people are just so used to things being a certain length or they look at the, you know, top rankings and they're like, Oh, well, Ben Shapiro and the daily show, you know, and all those daily things are exactly 25 minutes each day. And it's like, well, yeah, they're, they're done by the New York Times or somebody like they're there, there's some reason there, but you don't have to, right. they're fitting into a traditional media format, because they're also going to be distributed yes. on traditional media. That is actually what happens. They're on a regular radio, they're being syndicated in, in some cases. So yeah, they're, and they and you know, they just may come to it with uh, a little bit more of a rigid thing. But that's what I love about all of this. And um, I so 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 to and, and then to answer the last part of your yeah. question, sort of like, how, how does it fit into investing? So I'm a, a general partner in a fund in uh, Seattle called Pioneer Square Labs and our, our investments with PSL Ventures. And uh, David in last January, despite much pushback, convinced me that we should do a Bitcoin episode, which was our oh. first crypto foray. Amazing. It took us till January of 2021. Um, but since then, I've gone like way down the rabbit hole. Oh, um, here we go. We're on our seventh Web3 related episode and a bunch more in the, in the pipeline now. And uh, I... I, we're, we have five partners at PSL, but I am um, personally exclusively looking at crypto and Web3 investments now. And right. that, that's fairly new. It's in the last month, but it's just been a total, total, total change for me. And that wouldn't have happened without um, sort of having acquired as the vehicle to pursue that curiosity. I, I tell people podcasts can be like your graduate school. Like, and literally like 100%. every year you get a new degree or every like 10 episodes, it's like, here's your new you know, uh, minor in crypto, <laughs> you're sure minor in smart contracts, like, it's like literally taking another couple of credits. And I always tell people it's a front for me to build relationships and get smarter. Right. And yep. so let, I think maybe it's a good segue into crypto. Is that somewhere on the docket that we're talking about crypto? Uh, I don't think it's explicitly on the docket. But should it's like, our, hey, Jason, are we talking about mobile? Are we talking about social today? Yeah, I mean, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> well, but like I mean, like, I guess I'm trying to make the point. Yeah. It's like, it's in the fabric of everything now. And, yeah. and uh, well, or let's at look least at it specifically uh, in investing, because yeah. I literally was looking at a Dow company. Um, and I'm looking at the Dow companies. I'm like, somebody's going to make a Dow platform. I think for me, I looked at the, f totally I look at, needs to happen. I look at the four uh, stages of crypto. And I covered Bitcoin when it was, you know, trading in the sense. And I wrote a seminal piece, like um, the, the most dangerous technology project I've ever seen turned out to be pretty correct. Um, is this public? Like it's a blog post? Yeah, from... they'll, they'll pull it up right now. It's oh, uh, sweet. It, when I had my email newsletter, uh, it was the most dangerous technology project I'd ever seen. And I had, and I'll ask my producers to pull these for uh, the future. We'll, we'll talk about them on the pod. Maybe somebody on the producing team can look at uh, when we first talked about Bitcoin. This was around that time I had a Bitcoin episode. The four stages I saw, 
putting aside like the underlying technologies in terms of use cases, store of value, not interesting to me. Interesting to somebody who's in a communist country, somebody who's got runaway inflation, somebody who's doing money laundering, whatever. Somebody like me who just bought a hardware device to specifically put my store of value on. Geeking out store of value, whatever. I would rather store my value in a ski house or, you know, something else. Like, (laughs) I don't know the, you know, uh, a Vanguard fund. Like there's other places to store value that I think are much better for somebody in the developed world in the United States. Second one, uh, money transfer. Again, we're in the developed world where money transfer is not a non-issue, and this stuff is more expensive, cumbersome, harder to use. So that was a fail for me as well. NFTs, collectibles, uh, I kind of like those when there's, and that was when I kind of got like crypto curious or like crypto, like, okay, maybe I'll do something here. And then finally, DAOs, which is really about company formation governance it's kind of like a new llc structure it's kind of like venture funds it's kind of like running a company it's kind of like culture uh and capital formation on a global basis that to me was just like man that was just like just fentanyl for me <laughs> right I into like, your veins right into my veins i just yeah was like well, i, I, I smoked so- that dow right up <laughs> and i just collapsed i was just like give me more dow and so oh now i'm God. just like a junkie but the problem i had was i started looking at these dow companies and I, I kid you not, I, I just start every conversation with, hey, can you show me a product demo? And they're like, yeah, here's a Figma, you know, design, or <laughs> here's our white paper, or here's our six pager in the, you know, parlance of uh, Amazon. And I was like, where's the product? And they're like, well, there's a Discord server, you know, and there's a database. And I was like, well, can you sh- walk me through the product? Nobody's got a product. Yet. And uh, the like product will be ready in three weeks. I, and I keep hearing that from people. And the valuation was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars raising, you know, low millions of dollars for you know, basis points of like, this does not make sense as an investment. That's my, but this well, is what happens. This is what happens every time there's a new, a new, a new paradigm for lack of a better word. Like, uh, you know, back like in the original web 1.0 bubble, you know, web 2.0 mobile, like there's tons Valuations and tons of never people disconnected rushing, from reality like this. Though. Totally get disconnected. And there's tons of fraud and there's tons of companies that go nowhere and just Figma designs that never become products. But <laughs> There are a few like this is the moment they're going to be com- they're going to be yeah. the next trillion dollar companies company quote unquote companies not sure that emerge that. out of this moment. I'm not sure maybe trillion dollar companies. There might be one or two, but I'm not sure like these platforms will be. I think they'll be. I think their value. I think in the likely case when I've seen on crypto valuation, and Ben, I'm very interested in hearing what valuations you're seeing and how disconnected they are from reality. Business leaders know that healthy and happy employees create successful companies no matter what the industry. Calm for Business is going to help your employees be their best selves at work even as the end of year deadlines approach. Calm wants to help kickstart your mental well-being initiatives like empowering your employees to stress less, to help them rest better, and to build that resilience, that mental resilience that you need to just come to work and crush it every day as we finish 2021 strong. Calm has a library of specifically designed content that includes lo-fi music playlists, quick breathing break, guided meditation. They even have programs tailored for mental health and productivity like their mindfulness at work series. It's exceptional. And hundreds of soothing sleep stories, which I use with my kids and myself 
and put myself to bed. You're going to be tight if you get a good night's sleep. Millions of employees at over 600 companies like LinkedIn and Universal Studios, they use Calm for business. And this shows your employees that you love them and you care for them and that you recognize that mental health is important. We all know it is. But how do you show it to your employees? Well, you show it to your employees by going to calm.com slash twist right now. Calm for business is offering a free one year subscription for HR and benefit leaders at calm.com slash twist. That's right. I'm not kidding. A free year of calm for HR and benefit leaders so you can experience what calm can do for you and your company every day. So get started today. C-A-L-M.com slash T-W-I-S-T and get that free full year subscription. When companies get these kind of valuations, a billion dollars or more in value, and there's no product in market, remember Jason's rule, it's either a fraud or it's going to fail. Whether it's Quibi, Magic, uh, it Magic, Magic Leap. Leap. Magic Leap. Quibi, Magic That's Leap, Theranos, um, Nikola, Fisker, any of these companies that become worth over a billion dollars, but they it, don't have customers or a product right? in market. I shouldn't apply. Which biotech. one? It probably shouldn't apply to any biotech. Yeah, I mean, biotech, yeah, that would be different. I agree. It was the whole Zimmergen, uh, uh, Zimmergen well, or whatever. Yeah. But there's been lots of multi-billion-dollar no products yes. in market companies like Moderna that then became products in market and were super viable. I think they did have some products, like actually in the formation of making drugs, like their platform to make the drugs was the product. So if you look at that, that product mm. did exist. The drug did not go through the approval process. So we might have to workshop Jason's law with that caveat. But I think it is a good edge case to carry yeah. up but i mean tell me a company that became worth a billion dollars quibi um before the product was launched uh that has been i don't successful. know that they ever hit a billion but um what was jason kyler's company uh oh yeah what was that called? That, uh, that was another one of those that was like yeah. huge valuation uh, but, vessel you know, vessel that's well that it. was in the era where like there there were very few billion dollar companies so i remember he raised i can't remember if it was a 40 or an 80 million dollar seed round and that was on a few hundred million dollar valuation. And that was like, you know, 3x an outlier of anything else anyone had ever seen. So <laughs> times are different now. Um, what valuations uh, Jason, are you to, seeing? To, to answer your and, point. Uh, and how do you like, reconcile them? Because I don't know if you saw Fred Wilson's post that said, listen, $100 million pre-launch product market fit. You cannot have a winning portfolio buying it at that price, knowing what we know about exits, even the extraordinary exits we're seeing today. I thought that was one of the most cool headed sober rational posts i've seen um it also nicely flies in the face of the sort of andreessen horowitz philosophy over the last decade of this is all going to be so much bigger than anybody can possibly imagine so um you know on, on our andreessen horowitz episode I, I can't remember the exact number david but someone was making the case that for mark's return you know fund to actually return yeah. These companies would need to have an aggregate enterprise value of over fifteen billion dollars or something, and and he was like, "Well, yeah, of course it is." And it seemed crazy at the time, and was totally, totally true. So I, I think Fred makes the the well balanced point that either we have a problem here, or these things are going to there's going to be way more multi billion dollar companies than anyone yeah. has you know than 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 possibly exists today. Anyway, in crypto, I'm seeing a bifurcation where. If people are raising on the uh, traditional structures where they're raising equity, they're a little overpriced relative to the regular insanity that's happening in the fundraising market right now. Put a number on uh, things uh, pre-product, pre-launch in the fifteen to <laughs> thirty million dollar valuation range. Oh, that's but, not that bad. That's no, exactly. Double or triple reality. Here. Right. 
But then you get into when they're issuing tokens from the get-go or doing a SAF, the simple agreement for future tokens or things like that, where there's never any equity structure and they're purely starting by selling some number of the eventual fully diluted total number of tokens and the, the valuations make no sense. Like there are three, four, five X because they're not, uh, the argument is, well, it'll never get diluted. We're never going to, mm. you know, the, the fully diluted tokens that there's already a set number and you'll never get diluted again. And you're like, you kind of have to, yeah, you that's an interesting to, one. It's like there'll never be another secondary offering. There'll never be like an IPO. There's never going to be a Series D or a right. bridge round. There's never going to be a punitive bridge round with warrants that are 10 to 1. The idea is it would be like your startup has a billion shares on day one and they're trading for a fraction of a penny or a penny. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. Uh, but and, there'll always and, be there's a also, and there's also a different notion where tokens have a, a second or third uh use case other than yes. just representing sort of ownership in the value that is created because so many of them y you know you have to have at least more than half often more than 60 percent allocated for the eventual community of the thing that launches mm -hmm. so all the founders all the um investors all the employees of and they're not really employees but all the people working on the project are are going to be a minority and so that's different too that's going to make it at least two or three x more expensive because you have to you know save a certain amount for for the community in the future so i have found and i'm new to this process i found that it just requires a very different way of thinking and i'm still working through like what's my framework to evaluate if something is a reasonable price because price means a completely different thing in the, mm. in that token world fascinating you buy any of this david you smoking this <laughs> I think are you, I, I are, don't you know. are you mainlining like it? it? Are you got tinfoil and a straw? Are you freebasing this craziness? I think anytime you're talking about uh, maybe this is controversial. I think anytime you're talking about valuations or where the market is right now, it's just like it's it's noise. It doesn't matter. Like I go back to like this is entry like price doesn't matter for investing in the long okay, like all of this that is going on, web three, DAOs. Say you're 21 years old right now, you're in college, or even you're older, like, what, like, this is so amazing. If I were that age now, I'd be like, oh, okay, I could go like work for a company, get a job uh, where I'm selling my labor for money, do that for a while. Maybe someday I'll start a company with equity and all my eggs are in one basket. This blows all that up. You'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to like... Give from my your, efforts okay, I agree to a with bunch that. of projects. I'm going to get tokens in those projects. I can diversify. I can work on where my interests take me. Totally. Those projects can do well. It's just a whole new model of well, like I, and I agree with that, capital. I'm talking about in our day jobs, like entry price investing. Uh, wait, but wait, but wait, I like but, your so, I like your but, further point, which is the great resignation and young people becoming entrepreneurial. So let's put a pin in that and get to that. But before we get to that there, one. There's a thing, David, that I know you want to say that or that you've said to me before, which I think is a reasonable and succinct way to put this, which is because we are elephant hunting in the in the game of venture. All that matters is that the entry place that you get in is sufficiently low below some reasonable number such that you're still early stage. Mm -hmm. And like, do you care how low below that? Not really. Just like yeah. go put wind in the sails of the company. But as long as you're in early stage in also, a winner it, it that's totally what depends on the style of investing too like i used to be a professional venture capitalist for over a decade you know very traditional i'd make one to two investments a year i'd sit on the board you know i'd like 
my model is completely changed now. And I think back on that, that's a great, totally viable model. But like, you're betting on so much to go right with every individual investment there. You are threading a needle every single time. And now I just think about it more as like, okay, I and my my partner Nat and my fund in kindergarten, we're going to make 50 to 100 investments a year. They're going to be small, <laughs> small checks. And most of those, we're not going to make any money. But some of those are going to make so much money that it'll pay for everything. And we have so many chances to be right. And what I'm saying is that like with Web3 and DAOs, that brings that same dynamics to companies themselves, to founders, to employees. And I just think that's like, like uh, we, had, we did a great special episode uh, a couple of weeks ago with NZS Capital, which is a hedge fund uh, based out of uh, Colorado. Those guys right, are Colorado. so smart. They're so awesome. And the whole premise, uh, they, they spent a lot of time at the Santa Fe Institute, which is an amazing yes. institute. And their whole premise in starting the firm was like, we don't know what the future is. And if you just like have that as your baseline, we don't know what's going to happen. Then what do you do? <laughs> They've culturally like, outlawed oh. the, the word conviction. No one's allowed yeah. to come and say, I have conviction in this investment. Because they're like, you don't know the future. That's a li- li- ridiculous <laughs> thing to say. And now when I think like traditional venture investing, caring about valuations, all like that's like you're kind of betting on yourself that you know what's going to happen. But if you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, like so you, these, these valuations are probably crazy right now. Sure. Right. But they may not be crazy. <laughs> and as long as you're investing through time periods and up cycles and down cycles, it's all going to balance out. Hmm, interesting. I, I might take the other side of this that some price discipline matters um, and that outrageous valuations could be a sign of a founder who is uh, optimizing for the wrong things. And if you're optimizing totally. for the wrong things, like I've seen founders turn down like top tier firms to get plus 10 20% on evaluation. Um, and then they're, they just don't have benchmark or Sequoia, whoever on their thing, but they got some second tier or third tier firm to, you know, go 30% 40% over uh, what those firms offered. I had one founder who got offered to vest all of their shares ahead of time. So no vesting schedule uh, and uh, control of the board. And I was like, but don't you want that person on your board? Because they've done this a hundred times. Isn't that the value? And you're framing sure, it sure. as that. No, I, I totally so agree with you weird, under that circumstance. That's the Let's compare that, apples to apples, yeah. though. Sure. Like, great, great firm offering okay. you ludicrous price and two to three X as much money as you actually need in this round versus taking a more reasonable valuation and selling at a, a pretty much the same amount of the company. Yeah, you go for the, you go for the higher valuation, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't blame founders for taking advantage of this moment in time. Um, I do think a lot of firms I'm seeing are going to have a hard time reaching the valuations they hit. I don't know about crypto because crypto is just so wild that, you know, having the public, having a global day trading base of users that is completely unregulated, participating in startups, I think I'm just sort of like stitching this together here in my head, but let's see what you guys think and you can riff on it. You know, we had as the venture community angels, a lock on accreditation mm-hmm. and investing in startups. Then you have this equity crowdfunding, which is very interesting, um, and kind of opens it up and syndicates opens it up a little more. But then you say, hey, we'll let anybody invest in this token, which is a proxy for a share. But you know, we're just going to circumvent all Whoa, security careful law. there, buddy. <laughs> uh, it is obviously a share, because um, people are buying it to afford to appreciate and nobody buying them is actually using them for the utility of them. 
or 99.9% are. So if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, and so it's a duck, period. Uh, <laughs> sorry, folks. You look at that. What that shows to me is there's a global appetite to participate in company formation. But then imagine if when Uber was starting out or Robinhood or, or pick the great firms that you guys have invested in, if all of a sudden the public, when they saw the app and downloaded it, and, you know, Twitter or Foursquare went viral at South by Southwest, everybody could just take out their Coinbase wallet and Robinhood and just start trading it and buying into it. They're like, what are you using? Oh, Twitter. Oh, yeah, I'll buy 100 tokens of Twitter. Oh, yeah, what is that this year at South by? It's Lyft and Uber. Okay, yeah, I'll buy 100 tokens of that. And people yeah, just, no, no wonder they get so valuable so fast. Well, that I mean, basically, you're taking the virality of Twitter and social media and the algorithm there, and then you're combining it with finance and private companies. So you now literally the, are the, going, I just, it's, I'm putting this together in my head. Like, I think these tokens are like the equivalent of going onto, you're going viral on social. And the real, like, next layer on top of that, that compounds the whole thing is, if it's not just I open up Coinbase and, you know, or FTX or whatever, and, and buy some of that, assuming it's traded on a, a, a centralized exchange. If it's actually something where the token has intrinsic value in the network and I decide, ooh, I'm going to start participating in the network and I'm going to own some of that part for speculation value because I think it's going to go up. But the mere fact that I then adopt it grows the network and Example. grows the intrinsic value of the network. And so you do actually have this thing where the price is growing. It's the old Buffett aphorism. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. Sure, the price is going because it's this public thing that everyone's buying in a mad speculative rush. But in a in this ideal scenario, the value is also growing because Give the network example, is expanding. Uh, Solana or Ethereum. Okay, I mean, the, are you the, using the, Solana and Ethereum in your day to day life or professional life? I do. I just held up my weird little hardware wallet that I just got to do <laughs> DeFi stuff. Okay, yeah, showing people your crypto <laughs> is not to try to like. Okay, no, I'm by the way, have you guys seen these memes of people showing girls in the club their Robinhood accounts or Coinbase oh, accounts? Come on, that's. So I swear to God, this it's so this great isn't to show you. Like, that's look, awesome. I have coins. This is to show you, like, well, I have a uh, application on my computer. I use my Phantom wallet on Chrome. Okay, but I you're not doing done. anything. Wait, wait, I, I, you're I got not a good solving example. a problem yeah. in your life with these coins. That's where this whole thing. I got a great example. Falls. We invest in. You should have these founders on the show. Brain Trust. Have you had Adam uh, and Gabe on the show? I don't think so. You should. Uh, full disclosure: We invested at kindergarten, and then via kindergarten invested. Oh, here we go. Here's book, the plugs. <laughs> these guys. Are, these guys are awesome. So it's um, Adam was the founder of Doctor on Demand. Uh, you know, like super legit Silicon Valley guy. He's been around for you know many generations since Web 1.0, and. Uh, oh, I brain? know about this. Yes, it's yeah. Right, keep going. And so this so one is interesting to me. This Next is generation labor marketplace. Yeah, it's like it's much more than this. But the gross analogy is Upwork or you know Fiverr or whatnot. But with crypto, and it makes so much sense because so explain it to somebody who doesn't understand crypto. Great, but does okay. understand Fiverr. Okay, so on Fiverr, you you know get a job, you work a job. It's like you know temp jobs, labor, etc. It's low paying jobs. Uh, because so much of the value is going to the network. Like you're working these jobs, you're not really building anything. Like a lot of the value is going to the company. They're taking a big take rate, etc. On Brain Trust, you take a job, you work on there. Brain Trust takes de minimis. I think it's like might be five or ten percent, like very low take rate, and they want to get 10%. it lower. Ultimately, get it. Low, I think down to zero, and you get paid in whatever currency you agree with with the employer. But 
everybody also gets tokens on the network. You work, your labor, you get tokens, companies get tokens, people who refer people, uh, labor in, jobs that happen get tokens. And then you're, you are becoming an equity owner in the network by working there. You can work lots of different jobs. And as more jobs happen on the network, that, that token increases in value. And so you're incentivized to do everything through the network versus where Fiverr or Upwork or whatnot, you're incentivized to take that offline immediately. So imagine uh, you got paid in Bitcoin, just to, since everybody knows what Bitcoin is, you go and I'm a writer and I write, uh, you know, a press release for somebody. I'm good at writing press releases. I write a press release. I say, hey, that would be, uh, if I was going to charge somebody to write their press release, I'd charge them five grand. But most people probably charge a thousand. So let's say it's a thousand bucks. Okay, here's a thousand dollar press release. Boom, I wrote it for you. I get a thousand Bitcoin instead of a thousand dollars in cash. I can then cash it out or I could spend it with other people on the network. And the idea is in order to be a contributor on this, you have to own a certain amount of these tokens or something. You have to be. It's it's not even that complex. It's you you get paid, you want to get paid in USD, you get paid in USD, you get a thousand dollars in cash. You also get brain trust tokens. Ah. And the company is like a pot sweetener then. Yeah, exactly. I just like the creative thinking here, right? Because then if you can use those tokens to do other things and... And as those tokens grow in value, then you're like, oh, crap, that job that I made $1,000 USD on, now in USD equivalent two years later, if the token appreciates in value, wow, I made $10,000 on that job. Or, uh, Ben, and you can relate to this, um, sometimes we buy extra fuel uh, for jets, you know, like three years in advance if we think... Jet fuel is low now. You'll just buy three like, years worth of jet fuel. I did it last looking week. Looking at your PJ and you're like, yeah, you know, I was like, it. I'm just going to buy it. Sorry, beat you got to get to um, that ski house somehow. Well, exactly. No, I'm driving there. Trust me. I'm getting snow tires right now. I don't have a PJ. <laughs> I have snow tires. Like that's, that's the level I'm on. I'm getting snow tires. <laughs> but, they're really PJs. good. They're really good snow tires for my Model Y. Um, but some people will buy three years worth of jet fuel. So actually, if you think about brain trust like Fiverr, if I were to do, if I were, were able to buy $10,000 worth of Fiverr credits now and had a reasonable expectation that it might go three, four, five X, my buying power would go from 10 press releases. If it goes to $50,000, now I have 50 press releases sitting waiting there. So it's almost like paying in advance. I could, yep. you know, spend it later. Totally. Kind of cool. This is the, an example too. The, like, you know, I mean, shoot, valuations are, have, <laughs> maybe they're too crazy now, but back then we invested pre launch. Uh, I think the valuation was like 166 million or something like that. Crazy, right? <laughs> they launched. You invested in this company at 166 million. Yeah, but listen, listen what happened. They launch, <laughs> and they list on Coinbase. It oh, trades no. up to an 11 and a half billion dollar market cap. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's now it's now down a lot since then, but it's still you know Wait one to two billion dollar market cap. Did you buy shares in the company or tokens or both? Zapped. Uh, so, so you have future, future tokens. tokens. Did you get your yep. tokens? Got the tokens. Yep. Are you allowed to sell them or are you locked? Uh, we're locked. Yeah. So, okay. Which so that's, rid- that's ridiculous. You, I mean, you, the people who bought the tokens on the free market can do whatever they want, but the VCs who put the money in early are locked for how long? Oh, you must have gotten uh, a much better deal. Well, we, we invested, uh, we invested pre-launch at, I think it was $166 million. Uh, okay. Valuation it should be a lower valuation than yeah, whatever the tokens are trading. Right. For most yeah. Of the if we, we had life. bought in at eleven and a half billion dollars, then we wouldn't be locked. But we wouldn't have bought in at you know. We See, this is the this is the problem with what's happening in crypto is these valuations. Like, oh my god, it's worth ten billion. But put aside brain trust. Just call it Acme correctly because I don't want to deride this company. 
Uh, so Acme tokens are worth 10 billion, the market cap. But 10 billion of tokens have not been sold. $10 million worth of tokens have been sold, but right. people are buying in $100 increments. Nobody can clear their positions. So when yep. we look at Solana, and a lot of my besties have big positions in Solana and other, you know, that mm. famous uh, fund. Um, what's the name of the fund? Multicoin. Multicoin. Yeah, yeah. So Multicoin, like, they're in this very unique position. There's not a market to sell all of those. So what do you do? You're just going to be like, you know, drip drabbing them out to sell them as you go. And so that that is the the thing about crypto that I think people don't realize is that I would guess two thirds of the valuation of crypto is unrealized and unrealizable. Because there's not deep liquidity to, to actually trade your it's position. not enough liquidity to do it. And I think if you look at Bitcoin specifically, I mean, maybe a third of the wallets and tokens are dead. I keep asking this to people, people keep saying, low double digits are lost coins. So when you look at the market Makes cap sense. of Bitcoin, 20%, chop it right off, let's say some people have told me a third, but let's just take 20%. how much does Satoshi have? Uh, I don't know, it's like 2 billion. Or They've I'm never sorry, touched two, their wallet, two million right? or 3 million right. of the 21 million. So th that wallet's yeah. been dead since day one, it's never right. sold. A so that's crazy to me. Like, here's a question, though, that I was thinking about the other day, like, we can observe if there's ever actually been a trans transaction. So we are like, Oh, the coins haven't left that wallet. If I were Satoshi, in some ways, you're like, well, that's proof Satoshi's dead, because no human could actually resist the temptation of being able to go make that much money or, or spend that right. much money or do something with that money. They could totally take a loan against that as collateral. Oh, this so is a chance better they could do. There's something totally, easier because then it's not on chain. Here's how you do it. Um, it's a little secret that happens sometimes in our industry. Uh, you may not have Jason, come across it. I didn't want to bring it up, but I am. <laughs> I am one sixteenth. I'm one sixteenth of Satoshi. Uh, if I was Satoshi, is this like when you were? Uh, you said you were VC Braggs. Yes, which I thought was great, and people still to this day they got VC Braggs. It's so great. Oh, uh, so great. Well, and yeah, coordinated with VC Braggs. VC yeah. Braggs. You know, I'm like. I'm DMing with VC Braggs all the time saying, this is uh, hilarious. Please keep going. Because I was like, we're the original Briggs. targets. And then you take out your other phone and you're like, thanks, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was like, um, I was like, okay, how can we make people believe this? I'm going to tweet something from the VC Braggs. And then I'm going to delete it. And then you screen capture it and then share it somewhere else to prove it. So we were like going like through a whole like deep. How do we convince people that I accidentally tweeted from at Jason or at this week in startups? Anyway. Putting that aside, here's how this you do like it. This is like QAnon for startups. Basically, yeah. It's a little pizza gate or something. Um, aliens, reptiles, Illuminati. So you would create an LLC, Ben. And you'd say, I'm contributing of my, you know, 20% of the Bitcoin. I'm going to put 1%. I'm pledging 1% into that LLC. And then uh, if you all want to buy it, I will sell it to you for half price under the concept here that you can't sell it for 10 years. Boom. So they could have done all kinds of off market transactions like that and could be doing them all the time with a non disclosure. Mm. Yeah, people used to do this. I don't is, know if they still do with uh, employee equity and startups, right? For well, what sure, happened to yeah. me was I owned equity in a high growth startup at one point. And it was a very coveted share. And that company was not allowing people to sell them because the founder ruled with uh, an iron fist. And that was why he was so successful. And then know, somebody who are you talking uh, about somebody, <laughs> once upon a time in startup. Once land. upon a time in startup, somebody said to me, "Listen, don't worry about it. F that guy. Uh, we'll make an LLC. You sign this piece of paperwork. You contribute your stuff. I contribute into that X number of dollars. We now own your shares and this amount of cash. Anytime you want cash, you take it out, and then I own a couple of shares, and it's just a liquidity pool for you, uh, and nobody has to know." And I was like, "Huh? 
I'm not going to do that because <laughs> he's my friend and I'm just well, they also, that. that when people were doing that, at least with, um, with startup equity, there was a lot of risk because if, if the company found out they could cancel those shares, right? Theoretically, they could cancel those shares. Uh, that has never gone to the test. And so this person is like, no, they can't do it. It would go to the Supreme Court or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah, right, like, with right, one right, of my besties yeah. going to the Supreme Court, like I trust my bestie. I'm looking at the data, like liquidity. Um, illiquidity is a feature. <laughs> you know, not Turned a out it was very beneficial for you to wait. Yes. I, yes. This may uh The LLC may or may not was be. not based in Wyoming, by the way. It was not in Dow. <laughs> may or may not be relevant to this conversation. I'm just curious, popped in my head. Uh, are you still in touch with Travis? What's he up to these days? Unrelated. Thank you for asking. Uh, I don't talk about uh, Travis publicly. Um, and I don't talk about the guy with the rocket ships publicly <laughs> anymore. Because uh, the press now, because of reblogging, Mm. Uh, if I, I, I talked about the SNL thing and it, the amount of blowback when you have a high really? profile friend like that, it's just like, it's back channel blowback. Mm. It's, it's people asking me like to ask, you know, high profile friends to, you know, solve some problem mm. like their kids yeah, benefit. Makes sense. And the other problem is, yeah. you know, I, and I basically told my team, well, sorry to bring like, it up, but. No, no, it's totally fine to bring it up. I, I actually like talking to you about it. When you start having some, okay, I have, I have acquaintances and friends, and then there's like very close friends. When I have close friends, and I was on uh, CNBC in the early days of, let's say, specifically Uber and Tesla, I say, listen, I have the road, sir. It's amazing. I was out there stumping for my friends. Hey, Uber's great. They're going to get through their problems. Hey, Tesla's amazing. Yes, the Model S is late, but I have the first one. It's incredible. It's transcendent. I, I was doing that. My friends were on high profile and I was supportive. So no problem. Then if your friends become too high profile, if I mentioned something about a Chamath SPAC now, like if I had Chamath on earlier, I'm like, hey, meet my friend Chamath Polyhopatia. Here's how you pronounce his last name. That was like, you know, five to 10 years ago. And I was introducing him to the world on the pod. I could say, well, but now if I were to say something about Chamath and then bring up one of the IPO SPACs, it gets reblogged and people yeah. say, well, he's an insider. He's his bestie. He has inside information. This is a publicly traded stock. And then all of a sudden, I am trading on a friend's reputation as opposed to supporting a friend. So now I support my friends. If they become so high profile, I've now just learned to just turn off the spigot. So everybody keeps asking me about Travis. I spend time with Travis. I know a lot about his, what he's doing. I say nothing uh, because he has said, I want nobody to talk about what I'm doing. And I said, great, I respect that. Totally. Uh, and then people are like, are you an investor? Are you involved? Are you on the board? And I say, I, I don't speak about it. That, the end, you know? That is um, 100% his rate. That is great. And you're a good friend. I try to, you know, one of the things I've tried to do in my life is be the best friend possible for my friends because it gives me joy to be able to take a phone call from somebody who is having a hard time. You know, and, and, I, and I took these texts and from Tony, you know, uh, you know, uh, leading up until his suicide. And, you know, it's like something that's stuck with me of like, did I do enough in that situation? Could anybody have done anything in that situation? And, you know, it's, it's, it's like heavy stuff to be somebody's good friend and then have them kill themselves, you know, yeah. uh, in a really disastrous way. And so I've just, this, this is like, you asked me like what I'm thinking about and top of mind for me in my career at 51. It's that. It's like, I, I have a lot of friends in high pressure situations or friends who, you know, ha have died early from, you know, like 
Tony from drug abuse and, and mental health issues. And like, that's what I think about is like my friendships and whatever. Cause I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm 51. I got whatever, 19 to 40 years, hopefully. I, I want to really enjoy these and, and be supportive. So I don't, I didn't mean to bring the show down, but that's how no, I think no. about it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, well, and it kind of, you know, I don't know, weird to <laughs> connect this to DAOs and everything, but like, I do, I just, I think that's what's so cool about DAOs and Web3 is like, you get to do stuff with your friends and that leads to awesome yes. stuff, you know, like. I, I love that about DAOs and crypto. I, let me, let me throw this up there. You said earlier, I think, Ben, no, maybe it was you, David, that there's always fraud, there's always craziness, and then something real comes out of it. I agree with that as a premise. I've been super critical of crypto. I was like super enthusiastic and I became super critical with all the grifts and the That's ICOs. Right. That's right. And these like stupid like NFT painting the tape and p market manipulation. And then now I see NFTs that have IP included with them and residuals and smart contracts. And then I'm seeing DAOs. If we are in a uh, journey of where this becomes legitimate technology that people use every day, you know, and just pure speculation, if that was like a, a nine inning game, what inning are we in? That's a good question. I saw a stat. I don't know if this is correct or not, but I saw it somewhere. That's something like two or three percent of the U.S. population owns an NFT at this point. That may be a, an incorrect. Wait, wait stat. what number? Two or three percent of the U.S. population. I don't buy that, but that's incredible. Yeah, I, that seems high to me. But if that's true, then like. Wow, that's a lot farther along than I would have thought. I mean, nine million people is two hundred seventy million adults. Three hundred million, there 300 million a, adults uh, now, something like that. This is not the number of adults, but this is a tweet that I saw yesterday. Someone did an analysis of six point one million trades of four point seven million NFTs, which is interesting to see. Like one and a half trades per NFT is the average. Shows that the top ten percent of traders have traded ninety seven percent of NFTs which definitely puts meat on the bones of the hypothesis that a lot of NFT trades are wash sales intending to artificially boost prices. 100%. There's some interesting, interesting graphs that they show. Define, but, wash, define wash trades for people who don't know. Uh, selling something to realize the loss and then very quickly thereafter um, buying it again and resetting your basis. Right. So like, you bought the NFT for $10,000. You sell it to another wallet for $100. You've got ninety nine hundred dollars in losses, but you still own the asset. Yes. Yes. But then um, when you do those wash trades, tax, don't you, you get the tax? Well, the yeah. proposed tax regulation for, for next year that has passed the House but not passed the Senate will um, make digital assets subject to wash trade rules. So that, we, you know, in all likelihood, there's only another month left on that being an unregulated mm. thing. Mm. So where do you feel? Nine innings. When the ninth inning hits, this is as <laughs> this is this basically becomes 2005 using the internet. Like well, it's, been, everybody I, uses I it. Everybody's got a mobile phone with the internet on it. It's the moment when like the iPhones in people's pockets, Blackberries, and everybody is used to the internet. Here's the yeah. So I haven't defined it in terms of innings. I've defined it in terms of years. And the thing I keep going back and forth on are: Are we 1994 or 1999? Because you could make an argument we're 94 because like the real heavy use case things, the Amazons of Web3 are just now starting. But the craziness level feels pretty 99. Oh, I like that framing. Mm -hmm. So the like, technology I don't think we yet development have a... is 94. We're at Mosaic Browser, Netscape 1.0. Yes. Oh my we gosh, you look at MetaMask, like, that working. is Mosaic. Yeah, okay. So we're like Mosaic going into Netscape. But the hype and the 
finance is like peak 99, 2000. I think that's because exactly I think right, actually. Everything is so much faster now. Every mm -hmm. cycle is so much faster. Every trend is so much faster. Information disseminates so much faster that like the hype and the bubbles and the bubbles popping and the bubbles coming mm -hmm. back, like all of the cycles are just massively accelerated now. Wow. I think that is the best framing I've heard in a long time. And I was writing a blog post called Crypto um, Cognitive Dissonance. And I think you just gave me the supporting point, which is, you know, you, you have this cognitive dissonance, which is there are so many scams going on here. And this does not, there's no way these valuations match reality because there's no use case. But then you look at the underlying technology and its potential, and it doesn't take a genius. In fact, it, it just takes somebody with a base level of understanding of business and technology, David, to understand that this is going to change everything. At some point, these things are too powerful as a collection of technologies to not be highly disruptive. It's just obvious. And that's the dissonance. Yeah. we have on podcasts or on twitter is like two holding two ideas at the same time in your yes. head ah it's the hallmark of intelligence well yeah tolerance for ambiguity certainly is yeah oh no there, oh my there's gosh. a famous quote I, oh who shoot who said it of the hallmark of intelligence is holding two conflicting ideas in your head at the same yeah. time i remember your wife jenny told you david so that that came from a, yes, a good authoritative me, source i forget where I'm, well I'm cognitive dissonance is the psychological phenomenon and then a tolerance for ambiguity um is i think you know how i think people explain it in academia which is mm. when there's an ambiguous ambiguous situation which is tr typically because you have conflicting thoughts if you can hold them in your head for a little bit of space like like ben just did eloquently hey it's 94 in terms of the technology it's 99 in terms of the hype cycle great okay now that gives you a framework to hold it in your head and say okay that's a really dangerous place to be as an investor it's a really great place to be as an investor if you're not caught up in the hype and you're focused on the tech, right? You can actually, you can actually develop a strategy by holding conflicting thoughts in your head. What, I, yes, absolutely. I mean, we did three three-hour episodes on the complete history of Berkshire Hathaway at the same time as doing deep dives on Bitcoin and Ethereum in the first six months of this year. And like that, I think, is the... That, that is how I got smarter that this year was doing those things that are that couldn't be more diametrically opposed, like pure value investing versus mostly speculation and like believing that there are true intrinsic merits to both. I just got this from one of my producers, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald famously wrote the test uh, of a first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless, yet be determined to make them otherwise. Which is Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you guys have ever read Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, great, it's amazing. Really great, great late holiday read. Recommend I, it. I've read it three times in my life. I think maybe it's a good idea for me to read it uh, over the break again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to explain what it is. If, you, if you've heard the, the name Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, I'm going to just give every young person out there a gift. Don't don't think, don't read reviews. Just buy the book, put it in your drawer. And when you have a, you know, a time to read yeah, it's it. What, read it's it. like 40 pages, right? Very uh, short. It's more than that, but it, it's a quick it's read. A you thin can do book. it in a weekend. Yeah. It's a thin yeah. book with a lot of deep and important ideas. Okay, rapid fire. We got to get out of here. Amazing episode. If you are listening on the This Week in Startup stream, just type Acquired uh, FM into your uh, podcast player, click subscribe, uh, write a review, and then go ahead and uh, follow the YouTube channel. Maybe consider subscribing if you want to get into their awesome Slack. 
And likewise, if you're listening on on Acquired, go subscribe to the the JCal Empire. <laughs> all in twist YouTube. When, you just browse the top technology shows; <laughs> they'll all come up. All do you, do you have a preference of how people consume? Something we're thinking about a lot these days: a video versus podcast versus. I, you know, I am focused on building a great team right now and training that team. So we now have three full time producers on this week in startups. You can reach them at producers at thisweekinstartups.com and then Excellent. empowering them. Excellent producers. And putting them in charge of specific projects. And then I have Charles who does AV and then Molly coming on board. And so, you know, it's a six person team plus two salespeople, eight people. I focus on the team and then people can consume wherever. Uh, and we do live streaming, we do clips, and we just look at the data. And, you know, if, I, I kind of feel like. Ben, you nailed it before, which is if you, I think you were talking about making something crazy obscure, maybe that was your David, and then the world finds ben. it. Like, it was Ben. <laughs> it was Ben. Yeah, I, I think that that's the right insight. It's just you make something you're passionate about and then people find it. Yep. And you know, This Week in Startups is a niche podcast that's gotten, I, I never envisioned it as like a top 10 or 20 podcast in tech. I thought it was a niche podcast just about startups, but it's expanded and, you know, five days a week, I can't talk just about startups. So it's, it's kind of got a bigger <laughs> mandate now. Okay, rapid fire. What, what didn't we hit on the list, Ben? that you wanted to hear from our, David and I. Our, our rapid fire favorite oh. carve outs, our favorite books, movies, TV shows, things we read mm. of all of 2020 that we would recommend mm. to listeners. Well, for TV shows, I am obsessed with Secession. Oh, uh, it's so good. It I'm is, glad you caught my PJ's reference earlier. Yeah, I mean, the three, the last three episodes of Secession is just extraordinary. Like, they, they just keep peaking and peaking and peaking and I, are you also in on this, David, secession? I don't watch enough TV, so no, I need to, I need to at some point. It's just, but it's I'm, not even TV. It's more like Dickens. Yeah. Well, and it's about uh, News Corp and the Murdochs, right? Ostensibly, but I used to yeah. work for, so I gotta, I gotta go. It's ostensibly about that. Watch it. But what it's really about is power, privilege, mm. uh, family. How uh, money corrupts. Corruption, society. Um, and the characters in it, uh, I don't know where you are in your power rankings or who your favorite characters are, but you can't make a few, uh, you can't make a, a, a Tomlet without breaking a few Greg's. <laughs> I'm like all in on the Greg character. A uh, cousin Greg for me, cousin Greg, uh, you know, obviously Logan's amazing, but, uh, you know, I feel Kendall is a snowflake and annoying and Coddle I feel shit messed up in the head like a super woke lib but who also wants power and is kind of like disingenuous and for me it's about roman i feel like roman is like a pragmatist who wants to win who loves his dad who knows his dad is flawed but cares about the empire and building the empire and maintaining and growing and it doesn't matter what the costs are it matters what the outcomes are and he's you're saying just, like the ends justify the means for roman i think roman is looking at it and he's almost like an edgelord poster uh, <laughs> where he's you know slash like so that would have be how you would describe him in today's parlance and you previously described them as a uh, rabid capitalist ceo a marauding pirate those two things are kind of the same which is you know, nothing matters. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. who's running for president. What matters is we are influential in helping put that person in power and we have a relationship with them. So if it's Trump or it's Obama, all that matters is how does that benefit us? 
um and and where is our seat and power in relation to that um but yeah i will i will i'll go out on a limb and say that there are zero people who are pure likable on the show like no, Gre- greg's probably the closest them, yeah. but it's because he's kind of a bumbling idiot until the moments that he's not yeah i think yeah. he might be i think he might be they, they've kind of been teeing greg up to have his moment at some point you get that sense yep i think the ultimate thing would be for him to just get absolutely demolished and that moment to never <laughs> arrive like, I think that's actually what they're thinking is like, oh, yeah, he's going to save the yeah. day. And the best possible thing is he doesn't have a trust fund. He gets fired and he has to go start his career over and he's never important. And he's you're going to sue Greenpeace. <laughs> <laughs> is there a way for me to sue like my grandpa, like in a loving way? <laughs> no, it's it's not. OK, so anyway, so session for us. What do you got, David? What, what, what you said you don't watch TV or movies. Uh, I don't buy it, but OK. <laughs> Uh, well, I do. I got one TV. I finally, this is how much under a rock I, I live. I finally, finally, Jenny and I get into Ted Lasso. Big, oh. big fans. So great. Uh, Perfect pandemic. Yeah. So, so great. Uh, but instead of TV, my used to be my guilty pleasure is no longer guilty. I have fully embraced it. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. I love playing video games. Uh, wow. So I got a, after like a 10, 15 year hiatus, I got the new Xbox. Uh, they came out this summer. Is that five uh, or something? Where are they at? Uh, it's the X and the S. I got the S, which is nice. Oh. It's real cute. It's a little. So they don't know. even number it anymore. They're just like it's the Xbox. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's the twenty twenty one, and you bought it. And and all the all the games work on all the old ones too. It's just like how good a graphics. You, it's kind of like how oh. how dialed in do you want to be? Uh, I love it. And Xbox Game Pass is the best because like you can you get access to dozens hundreds of games um, you only it's like you apple arcade like or spotify for games yeah exactly Do you have a game that you love or a genre of game you love oh my god halo i so i grew That's up first like, person shooter yep i grew up on on halo like kind of high school college years mm-hmm. and then hadn't played in so long and then they have the master chief collection which is a remastered version of all the old ones and there's halo oh, infinite wow. the new one coming out so i've just been playing with all these older old i will confess as well i have been playing the new age of empires 4 oh, which was re-released nice. and when i what i this is my little tradition i get the girls to bed whatever i have the next game if it's an early next game i just record it i get everybody to bed and then i sneak back to my office and i pull up age of empires yes. the next game oh, and my slack amazing. and email and i'll play a little age of empires do a little slack and email watch the next game and i just have my giant 49 inch monitor three window setup and i can just have two three hours of watching the knicks playing a game grinding because i can't be focused on one thing anymore my brain is just forever corrupted oh, yeah. into Tech multitasking us yeah and my brain's broken you guys got a book you like you got a book or oh, an audio so book you like this year let's hear it earlier this year after doing all the research for the andres and horowitz a couple of episodes that we did um Obviously, they based that a lot on CAA. And so I was like, I should yes. learn about CAA. And I read Michael Ovitz's uh, book, Who, Who is, is Michael, Michael Ovitz? Yeah. It is so good. I mean, so if you good. like Shoe Dog or uh, Ride of a Lifetime or any of these like unbelievable like business thrillers, <laughs> it, it, is, it is definitely one of those. And I don't think enough people in our world know about how powerful CAA and Michael were in their heyday. I have the ultimate... Uh, build on that the oral history of creative artist agencies your next yes next listen yeah and i'm in the middle of it right yet? now i am okay. like it's 12 great. hours into the audiobook so that's a great compliment to the ovitz one and then the other compliment book end up, there it is powerhouse 
Um, the other compliment to that is um, Ride of a Lifetime. Ah, oh, so good. By oh, you both your business. So right. you, if you take those three and you put them together as like a little, uh, you know, sesh, you will get all the Disney stuff and the building of Cap Cities and ABC and whatever CAA's involved in all that stuff going on in Jurassic Park and this and that. So you, you get like it basically gives you the '80s and '90s in Hollywood. And then how yes. you got to the Disney mega corporation, which if you and were it's to like think, shining a flashlight on these like different corners, like it's like lighting up different corners of the universe yes. as you read each one of these books. Yes. And it's, it's, it's Rashomon, like five different versions of the truth to kind of get to what actually happened. Right. So if you don't know the yeah. reference for folks listening, Kurosawa, uh, famous Japanese director, famous yeah. director period had a film Rashomon, Rashomon, which is about a crime that occurs and there's different people's perspectives. So the movie is shown from their different perspectives and it is about the ultimate nature of truth. So yep. great. I, uh, other, book other that's books? been recommended to me that I need to read as part of our, you know, uh, learning about this space in Hollywood and all the analogies to tech. Um, OG, have you ever read the genius of the system? Uh, it was recommended no. to me years ago. I got to read it. It's about the OG original studio system. How did that get built up? And then, of course, that's what it was already starting to fall apart. But then, really, when Ovitz left William Morris and started mm-hmm. CAA, that and that really blew up the, the studio system and put the power mm-hmm. back in the artist and the agent's hands. Amazing. I on the on the fiction tip, I really like The Martian mm-hmm. and the follow up to that project. Hail Mary came out from Andy Weir. I just bought it. That's my holiday reading. It's uh, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And which know, one's better? It. Um, I well, The Martian was so unique. In terms of his style, I feel like he is like a standard bearer for Michael Crichton, where mm. Crichton would very much get into the science and the technology and then create a great, really fast paced story to go with it. And I actually had Andy Weir on the a program oh, before nice. the movie came out, but after the book came out, because, you know, he was down in San Jose uh-huh. and I actually went to his apartment. He's like, yeah, you can come to my condo and film me. And I went to his tiny little condo before he became a Hollywood guy. No, um, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know what episode it is. I'm going to throw it into the chat. And then I hosted a screening of The Martian with him, and I did a Q&A after in uh, San Francisco at the Metreon, and I invited all of our fans to come. Um, so anyway, I think you're going to really like Project Hail Mary. Um, and then, uh, as mentioned, oh, uh, and then on the bio tip, uh, I finally got around to grinding it out, the Ray Kroc story. Oh. That's absolutely good. fantastic. If you've seen the movie so- The Founder, Yep. Have you seen The Founder? Yep. Yeah, I, I have not, but... I, uh, incredible. It feels slightly fictionalized, but I think it's, it's, it's really good. Well, if you, if you watch the two, it's pretty tight. And then I'll add to it uh, uh, Mark Knopfler's, uh, the leader of uh, Dire Straits yeah. song, Boom Like That, is a song that the director and writer of uh, the, f- the Founder, it turns out Mark Knopfler read Ray Kroc's biography in whatever years ago wrote this song boom like that and then the directors heard the song boom like that read the biography and so just do those three together oh uh, sweet so great and so i'm giving you a little trifecta there on the pop culture tip i also reread because i started writing my next book um i re-listened Ooh. to when i was in What's italy it on? On. can we can give us some deets it's gonna be about money um and that's as much as i'll say uh okay. but it's not a tactical book like angel this is a book like big think book and so it's it's for everybody but uh on writing by stephen king is uh oh yeah a really really great great, uh practical book about writing 
combined with his story. Uh, and there's just a great moment so in it Stephen where King, he's he's the best. Well, th- there's an amazing anecdote I'll just tell briefly here. He was doing, um, he was a teacher. He wrote like three pages about Carrie and just about how this girl had had her first menstruation cycle and the girls made fun of her or whatever. And he was very frustrated with it. And he crumpled it up and threw it away. His wife pulled it out, read it, said, uh, you got to finish this. I love this. This is like incredible. Please finish it. He finishes it. He sells it for like essentially two years salary as a teacher is making like 4,000, he got like 8,000 or 9,000 for this, uh, you know, uh, paperback back then paperbacks and and hardcovers were two different deals. So he gets the paperback deal. The paperback takes off uh, the paper, the hardcover takes off. He sold the hardcover. And then the paperback rights are still out there. He gets a call from his agent, uh, the the publisher because the publisher then would split with him, whatever they got. The publisher course says, Hey, listen, we got you $400,000, you get half, so you get $200,000. He goes, oh, wow, $20,000, you're kidding. He goes, no, no, no. $400,000, you get $200,000. Okay, so I'm, you're telling me I'm getting $20,000 for the paperback? I got $8,000 for this. It's five times as much. That's like $40,000, $20,000, you realize it's like five times a year salary. I can quit job. He goes, no, no, Stephen. <laughs> We're getting $400,000. You're getting $200,000. And he can't process it, which I related to because at one point with the Uber shares, they had done a stock split of like four to one or something. And so I, somebody, uh, you know, on my team is like, hey, you know, here's the update on this because they were not giving us too many updates. Everything was kind of close to the vest. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot of money. And they're like, yeah, it's actually four times that. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, and it was like, you know, it was like a couple million dollars and then like, you know, tens of millions of dollars. I was like, you're kidding. And they're like, no, we're not kidding. And I was like, oh, okay, there we go. All right. Uh, you, what do you guys real, real got quick on, books? On, on Stephen King, though? Uh, uh, quick shout out. His Gunslinger series, not as well known, but it's his magnum opus. It's so good. So, oh, really? so, so good. I've Have you never ever read, read it? his fiction. I got to get in there. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, uh, and then I had Working Backwards, by the way, uh, which is the Amazon book, just because I'm trying to institute the writing culture inside of my companies. Great. Uh, I, I got a real quick one, uh, sticking with the, the fiction and the sci-fi building off the Martian, The Expanse. I've not watched the TV show, but the books are so good. I feel like not enough people know about ah. these. And people don't know, uh, James S.A. Corey, the author, is a pen name. It's two people who write mm. it together. And either both or at least one of them is George R. R. Martin's assistant. What? Uh, so literally, this is Game of Thrones in space. It is exactly that. It is so fantastic. And I the started last book, watching The Expanse, but we, I think we fell asleep during it. I gotta uh, give it another the books shot. are so good. They're so good. And the last right. book just came out. Wrapping up the whole series. Nine books. It's excellent. All right. So I think we got all the books. Any more books? Nope. All right, let's go on to podcasts then. Any podcasts that are non-obvious that you guys have gotten into? I'm trying to think. I know, David, do, did you have a favorite podcast uh, this year? I've, I've got a few. Um, uh, two video game podcasts, video game nostalgia history podcasts that I love. Oh, uh, wow. Actually, three. One OG that I've been listening for years, Wizard and the Bruiser, is kind of like a fun poppy take on uh, mm. nerd culture. Retrograde Amnesia is my new favorite. They go through old school RPGs, like like PlayStation era RPGs, and they play them, and then they like talk about the experience, like like beat by beat. They do like fifty episodes on a on a game, and then Resonant Arc is another one in the same vein. That's also great. Mine, I think, is actually a late 
a late 2020, but I'm going to recommend a single episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast where oh, he interviews Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, so it good. starts slow, but by the end, it's maybe the best podcast le- episode I've ever listened to on, on Jerry, the creative process, ha- building oh, habits, sticking to habits, Have what makes on, a great uh, comedian. I had Tim famously on This Week in Startups, a live episode when I would do live episodes every month in San Francisco or every other month. And uh, famously during that episode, uh, you know, because Tim and I have a personal relationship and uh, he talked a little bit about like his, you know, depression or other issues or whatever, mental health issues. And then he talked about, uh, for the first time, live in the room, it kind of took everybody back, his uh, suicidal ideation when he was in college. He then wrote a blog post about that and talked on a show and it became like a top search term. And then somebody who was listening to the show emailed us both that th- he was going to kill himself, listen to the episode, got help. And it, Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Some pretty heavy stuff. Wow. But, but Tim and I are uh, good friends and uh, yeah, I got a lot of respect for him. I, I added um, the watch, uh, which is a, a ringer podcast where they talk about TV episodes, but in a, long way and they do every secession episode the night after secession so now my new habit is i'm about the debrief so now i watch secession and then i listen to the watch talk about secession and i'll listen to some of their other episodes as well but they go deep so you have to have watched the show or else you get spoiled out and then i will watch uh, i'll add a streaming show to this i will watch the knicks game and then knicks fan tv comes on and it's like a call-in radio show using this restream technology we use today and it's just changed my knicks viewing habit because i find the debrief is kind of like i'm in it for the debrief now after secession i like to talk about secession after totally you know All right, i think that's enough show uh, anything All else right. you guys got on the podcast tip People should subscribe to your show. I think if anyone's, uh, I, I retweeted it. The acquired account has been streaming this the whole time. Um, Fantastic, yeah. And yeah. Vice versa. I, I can't, I, I can't say enough. Like, I, I've been a long time Twist listener, but um, okay. All In is just brain candy in every way. You, you, you light up all the different parts of the brain and keep going. Yeah, it's, but, uh, you know, it's really a five-person team there. You got the four of us, and then producer Nick has done an amazing job, just amazing giving job. up every Friday night. Um, so. Shout out to producer Nick, who has kept it nice and I got one, one real quick holiday rec oh. to end on. Is a question for you. We oh. actually need your help. Oh. Uh, we help. we yes. need to give a very nice uh, gift to a fellow podcaster, friend of, friend of the pod. Oh. Um, and we hear, that, uh, we hear that he likes really nice wine. We don't know what to do. I hear you might, you might have, a, uh. have a recommendation. We're thinking like, like really nice, like a like few hundred dollars super nice gift if we're thinking Bottle about the one. friends i have a few hundred dollars i'm not gonna do it <laughs> okay so, so, so cheap in your league but expensive in our what, league what's the cheapest bottle of wine you would bring over to like sax's house for dinner and be like this is okay um yeah i mean i've you know what he likes is pappy van winkle uh and i don't the, know what a classic. bottle of pappy van winkle that's that's like thirty five hundred dollars sorry yeah. um i basically <laughs> was on his plane he had a pappy van winkle and i literally just took the bottle it was like three quarters full. I was like, I'll just take this home with me. Uh, I didn't do that. That's just a joke. I make jokes like that sometimes just to <laughs> tweak them. Uh, he thinks that he really does think I took the pathway off his plate. He's like, oh, that's a $5,000 reserve <laughs> bottle. I was like, that's why I took it. And he doesn't know that I'm joking. And now he's talking to his people like, is that bottle missing? They're like, yeah, we actually think one of the bottles is missing. Oh, so I know great. his pilots are taking those bottles too, by the way. 
They're pouring Can I ask that a out? question about Sax's plane real quick? Oh, good. I don't think just it's have a good like topic. an incredible liquor cabinet like stored on his plane, or is, do you bring it on for every flight? All right, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. You're not supposed to talk about private aviation because it's like rule number one of private is aviation. Is that an out of bounds question? Totally. You never talk about it. You never take pictures of it unless you're Phil Hellmuth. It has no, <laughs> we call him, I, I nicknamed Phil Hellmuth the Duke of Discretion because if you watch, and I love Phil, so don't take it the wrong way, but we call him the Duke of Discretion because like literally he got to Miami yesterday and he walked through this giant J-Lo house and talked about the helipad and everything. And he just talks about PH nice life. So every time he's on a plane or I've been on a plane with Phil Helmuth, he's like taking pictures out in front of the plane. And I'm like, oh God, like this is a high profile person, like the tail number. And you know, like it, it, it's sometimes it's his friends in sports and it's like a, I wouldn't say Michael Jordan's plane, but it's a Michael Jordan level person, you know? And you're like, Phil, no pictures. And he's like, no, it's not for Instagram. And then you go on his Instagram. Of course, it's there two days later or whatever. So <laughs> it's anyway, on a delay. Know. But I think this windowed I content, say, Nick, is um, when you're when you do take these, um, though, the 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 meal and the wine would be uh, somebody's assistant would have thought that through and probably curated that. Um, so that's kind of one of the wow. fun things about when you have a plane, or at least I've. Some people just get like the standard food, uh, but I've been, you know, it's just terrible. Uh, but serviceable but what some people do is whatever city you're in the flight um, attendants i've seen this a number of times the flight attendants will source whatever the best restaurant is in that town or whatever and they'll say hey can i get a to-go for this flight and so one time i was flying out of boston and like we literally had the best chicken parm gnocchis and whatever uh, from like some north beach like and it was just like mm, this is it was, that was chamat's plan i can say that but anyway chamat sent his person to you know, like find the best Italian place, which we're like pounding chicken parm, you know, whatever. And, you know, and of course it's paired with something nice. So amazing. Okay. Okay. Right, so it's like, been an amazing say, episode. So, so, you can't, we can't, we can't let you go. Sub a thousand dollar bottle of wine. I, I have to think of, think it through. I'll, I'll, right. I'll get back or, to it. Or, or, or send us your wine person. Oh, you know what I'll say? I don't, I don't really drink. This is the thing. <laughs> um, I would actually say a dessert wine is not a bad call because they do okay. cap out. So Chateau, uh, you is that how you pronounce it? I'm learning about a new thing, so I don't know. It's basically dessert wine is a whole category. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so Chateau de Yacam. Yes. And so I would look at that Chateau Yacam. Um, okay. They basically they take like the late grapes. They're very sweet, and you can get into one of these bottles, like the small ones. They're kind of like the half size dessert wines that you might see at a fancy restaurant. They bring out and give you a small little bit of it. Tastes like honey and raisins and fruit. It's very dense and fortified. So it's kind of like a port, but it's a little bit lighter. And if you have a significant other, I would uh, just buy yourself a half bottle of this and crack it open after dinner one night. And uh, Love it. absolutely delicious. Like I'm skip dessert like and have this. 275 to 750. So perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Because there are half bottles, which will be small. And then there's the full bottles. You probably want to go with the full bottle. You know, and spend the seven fifty or five. Right, you don't want to look like you're cheaping out on it. And what's very nice important gift. about these, I'll just say, is is the, the years can have very different profiles. So just go on uh, wine.com or one of those wine rating sites and just find out which is the good year to get because that's how these wine people think. They know all the brands of wine. They're they're on the next level of knowing the vintages and which ones were great. So if you had a choice to get a half bottle at twice the price but the right vintage. That would be the power that move would, okay, in a okay. wine game. Make sure you get the right. The other thing I would pair with it is a dandelion chocolate, which is a chocolate oh, company in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. I do all my gifting from them and I just made a small angel investment in the company. Um, 
very privately. Like, um, but they have chocolate bars that are all high percentage dark chocolate. You know, we're talking twelve dollar bars of chocolate yep. that are artisanal, but that are kind of life changing because you have you break open one of those bars, you know, at dinner after dinner and just crack it open and everybody have a little piece. Boom! Just really delightful. All right, this has been an amazing episode of the Acquired FM podcast and this week in startups. You know what to do. Have a great holiday, everybody. I just great to know you guys. Like we have to bro out. Like we have to like. Are you guys going to Miami for our puzzle and pre money? <laughs> uh, we're not in this DJ one, league but. yet. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's what we should do. Why don't we do this? Would be a great 2022 for us. Why don't we do this live? Yes. Uh, this week in startups acquired crossover idea. live. Hundred percent. Where, where are in. you guys based? Seattle or something? I'm Seattle. He's San Francisco. So your neighbors. All right. So then you fly to us, and we'll do it in yep. like uh, the we'll, we'll do it in Redwood City or something. There's a nice theater there or something. Or right. we could do it in the city if there's you know Chesapeake sure doesn't arrest me. And uh, let's just do like a Chesapeake. like an intimate like. I don't know, 100 to 200 people sell the seats, you know, break even on it, and then maybe have a little party afterwards, you know, like post-COVID or whatever. That sounds amazing. That is a great 2022, like, plan. Uh, All right. Anywhere for people to follow you? At Gilbert? Very nice. Uh, At Gilbert or at DJ Rosen or at uh, Acquired FM or just search Acquired in any podcast player. Listen to Acquired. Watch us on YouTube. We're on YouTube now. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. We got uh, these nice professional video setups. Yeah. Uh, you guys look great. Really good lighting and everything. All right. Listen, this has been great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. 